Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. My name is Joe McCaldry, and you're listening to Eleven, the official theater podcast. Hello and welcome to Eleven, the official theatre podcast that brings the biggest stars and creatives together in one place to discuss life in the arts. Today's episode is an extra festive treat with a recording artist, leading man, and somebody who has one of the most recognisable male voices in the country. He's gone from hometown hero after his X Factor win, which saw a duet with the late George Michael, to chart-topping albums and even moving into the studio with Dion Warwick. Adding a leading man status to his list of talents in musicals, including Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, Club Tropicana, and more pantomimes than I think even you can dream of, he is no stranger to the sound of great applause. Bursting up the iTunes video chart to the top spot with his new video and single, Oh Holy Night, things are about to get festive as we discuss performing with legends and a surprise date with the incredible Whitney Houston. It's Joe McKelgy up next on Eleven the official theatre podcast. To comply with regulations and ensure that our conversation is fully COVID safe and secure, just wanted to let you know that Joe and I connected digitally. So please forgive any brief moments while we wait for the internet to catch up. Happy Christmas. Hello, Joe McEldry. Hello. How are you? I feel like I haven't spoken to you in all of, well, five minutes. Uh, well, we, we, we've managed to keep in touch via Zoom and here we are again on Zoom. No, um, it feels like our new sort of playground, this, me and you on Zoom. I mean, it's everybody's, isn't it, at the minute? I'm good. I'm all right. It's, you know, like everybody, I'm sure. I don't want to bang on about it too much, but it's crazy year. But um, I'm alive. I'm here. And that's all we've got to be thankful for. Definitely. And we are nearly at the end of the year. Thank goodness. So 2021, you better be good. You better be kind to us all because we've, we've had quite the year, but like you say, you know, we're alive, we're healthy and we're sort of getting on with it. And I think that's the most important thing. You just got to crack on, get going. And all of that means I get to talk to you today because you've been doing some fun things in lockdown, which we'll get to in a second. Firstly, I should actually comment on the fact that we're feeling very, very Christmassy today because I said just before we um, came on the Zoom, shall we wear our Christmas jumpers? I don't know, about a festive sort of fun came over me. And I'm wearing a rather naughty sort of ab fab Joanna Lumley sort of tight one. And then Joe drops the fact that he's got his own Christmas merch and is wearing it rather nice. So I like that jumper, you know. Gold plated as well, may I add? <laughs> oh, of course it is, because yeah, nothing. Well, we obviously do tour merchandise and everything on tour and everything like that, and obviously that's normally kind of you know merchandise is a massive part of when whenever you put an album out or a tour mm. or whatever. So we've tried to kind of do little drips and drabs of stuff this year that kind of references twenty twenty, but not in a kind of making a joke out of it and totally trivializing yeah. it. But um. So yeah, so we did. Um, we've got a range of stuff coming out that is basically the tour I was supposed to do this year, and instead of obviously people being oh I went to that date, all the dates are crossed off on the back, and it's <laughs> the, the tour that couldn't tour. So we've got that, and then just Christmas stuff, just fun, fun interactive things. We're just trying to. I think if anything, just to flip. I'm trying. What I've started doing this week, I've started flipping 2020 negatives into a positive. So every time I talk about something being terrible and awful, and you know altering everybody's life in a way that they don't want to do I'm kind of like well on the flip side you know at least we've been able to do this at yeah. least we've been able to do that so me, me positive from that is yes we haven't been able to tour but we've thought of inventive ways to connect with people absolutely and the positive of that is that we get more Gemma Keldry merch hello like that's what we want because anyone that that hasn't been on your website and I'm re- I feel like I work for you now you need to go onto Joe's website because he has the best merch out of any person in the music industry full stop I mean whoever creates your merch and I know I know that it's a, a family business and you're part of it and you it all sort of comes from your mind is a genius because you've literally got everything for every birthday anniversary I don't know if you've got sort of like someone's died there's a piece in there you could throw there that way but it's just so many fun 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 things I'm obsessed well the thing is uh, you know it's like it, I, I think merchandise is like is a, is a really cool way of connecting with, with an artist and with a performer yeah. and I've been very very blessed with a, a wonderful fan base that we kind of we find all sorts of ways to kind of you know 
make things interesting and not just do the like whole boring generic t-shirt that everybody releases with the same print on it it's finding different ways to kind of make things a little bit different so you know i think people people log on there like we've got handbags and everything i'm like listen <laughs> welcome to McKeldry's store <laughs> <laughs> i love this idea now of somebody being like um sorry for your loss with sympathy here's a joe McKeldry handbag thank you and it's like oh cool <laughs> It's all gone awry. We've literally not been talking, what, four minutes? So we've already covered merchandise, Christmas and death. So we probably should just sign off right about now, if that's okay with you. Yeah, I mean, nothing would surprise us anymore. <laughs> How 2020 of us. But um, yeah, thank you once again for being on 11. It's such a pleasure to get the opportunity to talk to you. And, and some people will notice that Joe and I did actually talk on Instagram Live towards the actual start of the pandemic, which feels like five minutes ago, but it's something like, I think like eight or nine months now. I mean, it's... I was going to say, when you said the start there, I was thinking, was it the start? It feels yeah. like three weeks ago yeah it's it's ridiculous i mean it feels like a long time but doesn't feel like a long time i feel like this is that sort of time warp era but joe and i did get to talk about some amazing parts of his career so we are going to try and talk about a few other things today so go back and listen to that if you want to sort of go through the classics but we're going to try and talk about some specific things hopefully theater related because that is the point of this podcast so let's talk about your new Christmas single, because you are one of the kings of Christmas. I've had your Christmas album on today. I'm very proud to say that I love it as your friend as well. So this is a new song. This is Oh Holy Nights, the new single. Um, was this always going to happen this year? Was it the plan to sort of enter into Christmas or is this a great sort of win for 2020? It wasn't. Um, obviously, if, if anybody's heard the, the first Christmas album that I released, Classic Christmas, I did a duet on there with, I can't even speak today, with um, Rolanda Vila's on. Um, who was my mentor on Pops and Opera Star. And uh, we did this wonderful, like, epic version of Oh Holy Night. And it was actually my mum, a, a couple of weeks back, she said, why don't you do a, um, a recording? I think we'd gone out for a walk down to the beach. And I live, uh, the one thing that 2020 has made me realise is, I live in a beautiful part of the world and we have the most spectacular coastline, literally five minutes away from my door. And I've, I've done a few shoots down there for album campaigns and things over the years. Mm -hmm. um, and I shot a single that I'd released quite a few years back called Here's What I Believe down there. But we went down this morning and the sunset was spectacular. And she said, it would be amazing to do some sort of like Christmas thing um, down here. Why don't you do a little version of All Holy Night? So we threw it together in literally like four days. Um, I went into a studio up here and recorded a kind of live version of it. So it was stripped back with just piano. And then I called um, a team of video guys that I work with quite regularly when I'm filming concerts and things like that. And uh, we thought, let's, we, we picked a day about two weeks ago and we were like, let's pray that we get this amazing sunrise. And I swear to God, I mean, if you haven't seen the video, it looks like a green screen. It is that beautiful. It really does. <laughs> I've, never, I've never got a video back and gone, Oh, it looks like a green screen. <laughs> In a good way. Like, yeah, I was like, oh, wow. Like, literally, we had the best sunrise. And it, obviously, we had to shoot it within, like, 20 minutes. So we only did about four takes. Of oh, it. God, yeah. It was, um, it was just, like, a nice little Christmas thing. And it was more just a kind of, like, giveaway for fans that have kind of supported us this year and came on the online shows that I've been doing. And then all of a sudden I logged on the other day, it was blooming number one on the iTunes video chat. I was like, oh, thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> Casually dropping that one in there. Because that was going to be one of my next questions was, it has done rather well. I mean, it's, as you say, number one iTunes video chart, beating this plethora of like ridiculous pop stars. There he is, sat at the very top, superstar yeah. Joe McEldry. I think I've been knocked off now by Mariah Carey, but listen, if you ever had to That's come, okay. If you had to come second to someone, it would be Mariah Carey. I will allow that. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how the video chart works and because it's different. It, it wasn't even a single release. It was just literally a video download and then it went on YouTube. It wasn't even a thought out release. It was more just a, here you go. Here's a little Christmas treat. Enjoy it. Um, so yeah, lovely that it was received that well. Um, not expected at all. So I can't complain. Is Oh Holy Night your favourite Christmas song? Is that why you picked it? Um, it's a favourite one to sing live. Okay. It's quite a challenging song to sing all holy night because it's kind of got a lot of um there's a little bit of kind of falsetto and then it goes into a belt and then it's it, it, it uh, whenever i have to sing it live i do always kind of have to do a and concentrate yep. you know um so but it, and, 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 and there's something about the lyrics of it um people just love it like they have this kind of connection with it 
And I, I, I feel like the lyrics, I don't know, they, they kind of meant something this year for some reason. Whatever reason that is, I don't know. I just, you know, fall on your knees. Like, come on, give her a bit of release, you know, like give her something. So um, yeah, little hidden message in there as well. And have you had a message or a cease and desist from the Queen of Christmas? Has she been in touch saying, get out my yard? Um, I haven't. I mean, I, Not yet. I, I, would like, I would like to think I existed on a radar, but I'm probably, I probably don't. <laughs> no, you definitely will. She, she looks out there going, hmm, okay, interesting. We're obviously talking about Mariah Carey, who we love. I, I, I do tweet about Mariah quite a lot. And I also mention her. I, do, like, I did a really fun video, which I think I actually sent you. Yep. Um, I did a really fun video when I was in Panto last year. Um, a lovely backstage crew at um, Birmingham Hippodrome. And they, I, I walked in on, on the first day, I think it was, and I, just as a little joke, I said, by the way, guys, like, just, just so you know, when I enter into the wing, I do like to be walked to the position. I like a torch shone on the floor. I like somebody to hold both hands because that's what Mariah gets, and I feel like I deserve it. So every day... Um, as a bit of a joke, they would have a different way of transport of getting us round to the back of the stage to where I would go on this big glittery mirror. How camp? Um, Very so, you. Yeah. And on the last day, I had I literally reenacted. If anybody's seen the footage of Mariah being pushed on an office chair with about fifteen entourage members behind her with clipboards and everything, they reenacted that on the last day. So she's referenced quite a bit in my Instagram. So she, I should be on her radar. We do love Mariah Carey, though. I mean, I sort of judge people that have anything bad to say about her. It's like, excuse me, she's sort of music royalty. She's also the queen of, she's the queen of camp, really. I mean, the stuff she does. I mean, I don't know if it's intentional, but she's she's an icon. And I mean, I know we joke about sort of, you know, her owning Christmas, but she has made Christmas cool. I mean, she's made it really fun. And that song, I mean, apart from the fact that it must keep her afloat for the rest of the year, like, it's such a good song. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, she's made Christmas cool. She's also made a lot of money on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I think you know, I think that with, because I, like, I'm a massive fan of, I've seen her live in concerts. So I love how we've con- just gone on to a whole tangent of Mariah. Mariah Carey. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Um, I think people, because she kind of does come with all of that drama and smokescreen of kind of diva-ishness and comedy and kind of taking the mick out of herself, I think people forget that she's actually an incredibly talented producer, has produced all of our own songs, wrote all of our own songs, and also had 80 number ones in a time when to get a number one was very, very, very difficult. You know, there was no social media at that time. You know, you had to do it the old school way where you built up into a song release and stuff. I think it's it's it 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 it's very easy to become viral now and very easy to kind of you know, have a song of a, that like holds a moment for like a very split second. But have a number one back then that would last like seven to eight weeks on a chart is like, is no easy task. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Queen Mariah Carey, long, long may she reign with her cute little voice notes on Twitter that I think she's posting today. We're, we're fully obsessed. Um, okay, so we've, we spoke about Christmas and we've also spoken about Mariah Carey, but another big part of this time of year for you is Panto. I know yeah. that you love it. it. You've done it for so many years now and, and you get the most amazing reviews. It's sort of like, must feel a little bit like a homecoming for you when you get to the end of the year and you think, oh, now I get to have some fun and, and be part of pantomime. But this yeah. year obviously has meant, unfortunately, you haven't been able to do that. I imagine you you probably are missing it quite a lot. Well, yeah, we were due to start rehearsals last week and it was all kind of, we were going to rehearse as if we were going to open. Um, and then I think we realised that, because I was due to be in Newcastle this year and we've our numbers are quite high up here. And um, we're, uh, yeah, there, there was many factors um, and it, it wasn't possible to do it, but we are getting to do it at Easter, um, Robin Hood's Adventure. Um, so Amazing. Yeah, I, I love Panto, you know, and I think people have, like, for me, like, people, I've done it for probably about seven years now, um, and when I first was asked to do it, I was like, oh, will I enjoy it, you know, will I, will it be something that I love, and honestly, it's one of the, one of the best, I, I will not do anything that I don't want to do, um, I'm one of those people, um, so I know it's kind of, a lot of people go, oh, I love it, and it's my favourite time of the year, but I genuinely will only do projects that I really want to do. Um, I'm kind of a big stickler on that because I would hate to be in a job six months down the line that you've signed up to and just be hating it every single day and having to pretend that you like something. So I'm always really careful about what I choose to be a part of, Yeah. Um, which is why I do Panto every year because I genuinely 
it's my favorite job that I ever do. It's just relaxed. It's fun. It's hard work. Mm-hmm. Don't get us wrong. It's it's an intense schedule, but I just love the. I don't know. It just has this energy about it that n- not many other things do. Um, and the company that I work for, Kudos, the productions that they put on and that I've been lucky to be a part of are nothing short of a kind of Las Vegas residency spectacular. So it does. Sometimes it doesn't even feel like you're in a panel. You're so well looked after and. The shows are absolutely spectacular, like from the lighting to the costumes to the scenery, the special effects. It's just like another level. So I'm very lucky that they they want us to be a part of them. It's so exciting as well that you are going to get that fix. You are going to get to be back on stage. Did you say it was around about Easter time, which, again, just another step towards some sense of normality and the craziness of this year. And I'm, I'm so glad that, that Kudos and all that team and you are able to, to go back and do it and make sure that people get the opportunity to come to the theatre. I think now more than probably in a long, long time, at least, probably now more than ever, we understand the importance and the vitality of the arts within the world that we live in. I- yeah, and and how much it's got, um, how much it's given people a release through lockdown. You know, from Netflix to YouTube live, live streams. You know, live concerts that people have done through Zoom, um, live streams in theatres to raise money for. Like all of those things, and we should also give a massive shout out to the likes of Kudos and other inc- this hundreds of incredible production companies that have literally put like finances on the line to try and make these productions happen and weave in through the changes. And- the tier changes you know and I think it's very easy for people to sit at home and go oh well you know like it we're in a pandemic you know and, and of course we are and we do have to be very sensible and safe to realize that we're, it's people's lives at risk but at the ta- at the same time it's people's livelihoods you know and they have tried so hard you know as have many others to to keep things going so I take me hat off to them because I would not want to be in that position. What do you find the hardest about pantomime? Is it the schedule? Is it the fact you get to sort of flex your creative bone in a slightly different way? Because obviously there's a storyline weaved in as well. There's characters, you're sort of having to go through a script or is there anything specific that you think, oh, that's quite hard, but I'm actually really grateful that I got the opportunity to sort of give it a go and sort of overcome it. I mean, I say the schedule, right? I, I was just going to say the schedule there. And then I thought, to be fair, if I think back, like my, like, like my normal day job, shall I say, is to obviously, I'm a solo artist first first and foremost. So my normal kind of routine is to stand on stage for like nearly an hour and a half to two hours and maybe leave for like 30 seconds for a quick change and come back on and, and sing every number. So for me, Panto is, the schedule's hard, but actually being on stage is quite not easy, um, but it's kind of more relaxed because you come on, you do your scene you do your piece with the comedian and a bit of a comedy routine then you go off and you've got 10 minutes to kind of go backstage and stuff so yes the schedule's hard but actually the show itself is a lot easier than what I would do on a normal night if that makes sense so it allows us to kind of relax a little bit more because I don't have to stress about my voice as much you know I'm not thinking I have to hold this whole thing together yeah. for two hours and if I go down you know there's I don't have an understudy you know there's not a Joe 2.0 it's probably so, um, me to be fair I, don't know, I, I think maybe what I enjoy about it is is that you know you can kind of, you go with the audience every night it's relaxed it's you can kind of weave in and out of the different scenes and kind of anything goes a little bit as well which is what I like and I like not knowing what's going to happen like that that fear of the unknown kind of is what I thrive on I mean, that's what we as an audience, I think, are terrified of is what is going to happen. I've never sort of, you don't sort of get that nervous butterflies <laughs> as an audience member. It's when you go to a pantomime, especially, you know, big ones like the ones that you're involved in, you think, please don't pick me. Please don't be, don't make me be the guy that you're going to get either A, get on stage or B, get the dame, start taking the piss out of. And it's always me. <laughs> little tip, little tip, never sit in the front row. <laughs> <laughs> I always love it as well when you when when you when you're in the wings on the show and obviously backstage we have where the, the stage manager, the ASM would sit and do all of the stuff um and cue all of the show and everything like that. And they have the little cameras and you can kind of see some of the audience. And normally before somebody goes on a little trick, um whoever is whoever they can spot on that camera, so that you know, they're like, right, that's him. <laughs> And I always think, oh, the poor person has no idea what's about to happen and they're literally going to be the butt of the joke for two hours. <laughs> when I went to, um, side note, when I went to Las Vegas, though, I wanted to go see a magic show. I wanted to see, you know, the big sort of classic Las Vegas magic show. So um, my friends and I, booked, we went, do you know what, let's go to the very top. Let's just book one of the biggest ones, but let's sit sort of more towards the back. 
because my irrational fear is please don't pick me as I just said so we went and he was like right I'm going to go into the audience and I thought guys we're all right back here because there's about 5,000 people in this place and we're like 4,000 and something and he kept walking down the aisle and down the aisle and down the aisle a bit more and I thought we're in trouble here and for whatever reason he picked the man directly in front of me and gave him a knife and said I want you to check that this magic trick is real and I for whatever reason obviously either changed my face or did something that made him say oh do you not believe that it's real and I went what and he went well let's find out how real it is and I got marched all the way down the aisle all the way up onto the stage and you know that magic trick where they put knives under cups and they slam your hand down yes. that was me in front and I nearly pooed myself because I thought I've watched too many videos of it going wrong so I now have an irrational fear of audience participation but the fact that you guys are terrorizing members of the British public on purpose makes me want to never go to your pantomime ever because I'll be terrified <laughs> But you know what's even better as well? The thing that I love is it's almost even better if they don't want to join in. <laughs> <laughs> Nasty. When I was in, when I was doing Club Tropicana, um, it was kind of my job as the, you know, it was a comedy role. And I kind of had to do a little bit of that kind of audience participation at the beginning of the show. And it was written into the script that, you know, if anyone kind of goes off with it, like you can, you can play around with it and kind of, you know, not sh not shout them down, but you can have a bit of fun with it. So um, it was it's it's interesting when you're that person because you do just have to go, you have to go hell for leather. Because if you show any kind of kind of uncomfortableness or like you know that somebody's thrown you and you're the person standing on stage, then you've lost it. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's always a funny position to be in. Do you find it easier or harder or slightly more challenging or more enjoyable to play? A character on stage for example when you're in a musical do you do you like the fact that you get to hide behind a character and explore something new or do you do you are you actually very very comfortable sort of being you on stage i guess sort of which way do you find perhaps slightly easier i mean i'd like so to kind of to, to answer that question kind of back to front um being on stage as myself is like is where i feel the most relaxed you know i can literally go and stand and talk and chat away and i don't really plan you know, I, I know a lot of artists that kind of have like a, a kind of loose script in between numbers and what they're going to say. And at this point in the show, this is what the topic will be. I don't plan any of that on a tour um, to the point where it terrifies everybody that works with us because they're like, I, I really think um, how are we going to know what the cue's going to be to get into the song? And I'm like, listen, I will give you all the cues that you need in the most natural, unrehearsed way possible but you'll know exactly when it's time to play the song. You know, we put our ND. He's always like, are you going to give us a nod? I was like, I will either tell you when the song or I'll give you a look. You will know. Trust us, you'll know. Now. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you always tell. Everyone's like, oh, God. But then it just works because it's natural. You know, it's like, and if things, I, I hate it when you go to see a concert and you can tell somebody is speaking in, in between numbers and it sounds like they're reading a script, I, I, I instantly go, oh my God, stop. Like, just, you know, and, and uh, you, it shouldn't be scripted, conversational. You know, it's not a musical, it's a concert. It's natural, you know? Um, so I always try never to script myself in that sense. So I find that really easy. But then on the flip side, playing a character, you can hide behind the character. And it, if something goes wrong, it's almost a little bit less terrifying. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because it's like, well, it's not me. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I'm somebody else here. I'm just a kind of jigsaw piece in the puzzle. Um, so, yeah, I do find it a bit easier. But having said that, playing Gary in Club Tropicana was hard. It was a comedy role. And it was, I, I, like, if I could not take me eye off the ball for a second. Because if I did, that was it. it. There was so many comedy cues, lining up another joke for somebody else. Um, like, constantly listening to the audience of like when to finish they laughed out when to carry on and it was really the first time i've really kind of understood what it must be like to to stand on stage and do a full stand-up show must be it must be exhausting because it's like it's a different art form in a completely different way and i i take my hat off to anybody that can do it it probably also adds more to to your live shows when you get to be you because you have so many strings to your bow. You now sort of understand, I guess, even more corners of what it's like to be on stage in different varieties and different ways. It's it's I suppose it's all about growth, really, isn't it? It's about sort of improving and being the better you. 
I think any form of, I think any type of performance um, only makes you a better performer all round. Um, I've, I've, everything that I've done, whether it be a musical, whether it be a concert, whether it be a pantomime, I've learned something that I then take into me kind of everyday Joe show that only makes it um, a more positive, you know, experience for the audience. Um, yeah. So I do learn a lot from, from different people. And I'm also, I'm a sponge. Like I watch people. I'm an observer. So anybody, I've been able to work with so many incredible people over the years. Like most recently, Cannon Ball, sadly, Bobby Ball passed away. But some just watching Bobby Ball and Tommy Cannon, how they worked and how they were so in sync without saying a word to each other. It was like such a like an amazing way of working. Um, yeah. And and I and I observe people like that. So I always kind of I watch people and think, how do they do that? How do they cope with that? What are they doing on there? You know, how are they rehearsing? Because I find it interesting. I'm genuinely interested by it all. Yeah, definitely. I love the idea of being a sponge and taking in other people's greatness. I feel like that's the, the, the best way to be a better you with sort of with one of a better phrase is to look at the greats and you have worked with some of the, the greats. I mean, we were joking before we started talking about your performance with George Michael, but I mean, there are very few people in the entire world that can say they've ever had, I imagine the privilege and the honor of getting to perform with him. I mean, he his music now probably will live on forever. I mean, I play all the time and think, gosh, what a talent. When you look back to that moment, I know you've talked about this a lot and what that was like for you at the time, but what do you think you sort of learned overall from, from that moment itself? I guess, what have you taken taken on board? I just think he was so, it, it's almost an expectation, I think, with somebody of that level. You know, I, he, I, I think even while he was still alive, he, he had that kind of icon status, in my opinion. He was iconic, you know, and he was already a living legend because of his back catalogue and his music and his career. So you almost expect with somebody like that to kind of come in and, I, I, and maybe it's just my defence mechanism, but you, you kind of almost expect to be a little bit disappointed. Yeah. You know, and kind of think, I can almost imagine that he might be a bit of a diva or he might be whatever. And honestly, he is the most humble person I've ever met in the industry. Just so down to earth, um, like really knowledgeable about the industry. And like we went to his dressing room um, before the show started, he invited me and Cheryl, which was just like, I mean, you can imagine 18 year old Joe from Newcastle, never really met a celebrity in his life. And I'm sat in a dressing room with Cheryl Cole and George Michael. Um, it was a surreal experience. George Michael's in a dressing gown, Cheryl's in a dressing gown, and I'm in a dressing gown getting ready for the show. And we're all just sitting drinking a cup of tea, just chatting about the industry. And I think at the, um, you know, he, he gives us a lot of like tips and advice about the media and how to handle the media and basically just not the kind of enter into that game of playing the media game. He was like, do your job, be good at it, do your interviews, do your press and leave it at the door. Don't mm -hmm. try and play games with it. He said, because that's what I did. And he said, it ruined me life. And he was like, uh, you know, and, and I think he's been on record saying that as well. I'm not saying anything that he hasn't said, but um, he just said, uh, he said, just, you're a talent and just focus on that. Don't focus on anything else. Um, so he was, he was so lovely, like one of the most humble people and came in and was like, I want you to have all the high notes. I want you to have all of the harmony lines that I did on the Elton duet. Like it's yours. Like this is your moment. We're going to make this. And, and it just shows you like he did all of that behind the scenes. And I, and I remember he said a little quote at the end of the performance and he got absolutely slated for it. Um, where he kind of said, you know what, it's it's hard enough for these guys to um, to have to come on a show like this and, you know, sing every week, and then they have to sing with people like us. And people took it completely out of context. What he was meaning is they haven't, they're inexperienced people having to sing with established artists is a really hard thing, and it's a really intimidating thing, and any performer would tell you that. But the general kind of public and the press just... They were like, oh, he's arrogant. And like, who does he think he is? And I was like, that's not what he meant. And it that really frustrated me because he was so not like that whatsoever. Was there ever any discussion when you were sort of having your backstage charades in your dressing gowns about your sexuality at all? Did that ever come up? Well, no, I wasn't out at the time. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't out at the time. And I was kind of in that process of working out who I was. Um, I mean, I, I would have probably imagined he could have probably have guessed. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, as a lot of people do now say it was well we knew anyways and I'm like that's kind of not the point but um, yeah. <laughs> um 
But uh, yeah, I, we didn't have a conversation about that, and um, <clears throat> and I wasn't I wasn't really ready. I don't think I was ready to kind of admit to myself at that point. I was still in that process of kind of, am I? Am I not? Who am I? Who do I like? Um, so it didn't come into conversation, and obviously, I, I, it, so that would have been the December. I didn't come out until the June, the following, well, the following summer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think that that duet and that moment is in the in the same way that that we love obviously Beyonce's appearance with Alexandra Burke, which goes down in history, and there are so many other talent show moments. Obviously, Rihanna and Matt as well. Your duet with George is very much part of that sort of A star quality of X Factor duets that you pop on when you think, you know, what? I just really want cheering up. Like I want to watch a proper classic X Factor moment, and and that is it. And I know how much that moment means to you as as well as us. It's such a cherished moment between everybody. So, yeah, amazing. And if you haven't seen it, which if you're like the three people in the world that haven't, then you need to go. You need to go check it out. Um, just to talk about a few more famous people, just for a second, indulge me if you will. Were you you were on the show when? Whitney was on there, is that right? Yeah. We got did you get, I was going to say, did you get the opportunity to meet another sort of legend? Yes. Yeah, so we met, um, we met Whitney. Um, we went to the Dorchester Hotel in London. We had no idea, no idea whatsoever. So when they filmed these shows, everything's kind of kept top, top secret. Um, and the contestants never really know what's going on. I, I, I remember like living, I lived for about 12 weeks of my life in complete kind of oblivion to like anything that was going on and everything was like hush hush and you'd be bungled into cars and sent to a studio and then you'd walk in and all of a sudden and understandably they want to catch it as reality you know they want to try and not make it as set up as possible so if they don't tell you and then they open a door and the cameras are there they get the actual natural reaction which I understand but at the time you know I remember being on stage when we met Whitney and they said um, a researcher came on who who was living with us in the house and they're kind of like chaperones tap us on the shoulder, he said, as soon as you finish your sound check, you must get in the car. Um, the car's waiting outside and Rachel and a couple of the other contestants were in the car. And um, so we get in the back of this car, lovely, beautiful, blacked out Mercedes, you know, um, being chauffeur driven around, you know, as an 18 year old, you're like, whoa. Um, and we were, uh, and I was like, where are we going? Like, what are we doing? And so we asked the driver and he was like, I'm not allowed to tell you, I'm sorry. Um, so, like Miss Marple. Yeah, so we pull up, and at this point, uh, we knew it was Whitney Houston week, but I don't believe it had been announced she was performing. I think it was like a surprise. So all of a sudden, we roll up to the Dorchester Hotel, which if you've never been to the Dorchester Hotel, is probably one of the most poshest, extravagant hotels in London. Um, even just pulling up outside of it, you know that it's just dripping in elegance and just money. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. instantly, as soon as I got out of the car in my little tracksuit from rehearsals, I thought, definitely shouldn't be here. But um, <laughs> um, and we went up to this suite um, on like the 15th floor. And they said, right, um, everybody, we're going to do a little uh, bit of extra filming. Piano player, he was like, can we just do some scales? And these two double doors opened in this hotel suite. And there she stood, arm in arm, linking in with Clive Davis, who some people don't know Clive Davis, but he was her mentor and is also one of the biggest music moguls in the industry. Like if there's like bigger than Simon Cowell, like he's more behind the scenes, I would say than Simon Cowell, cause he hasn't kind of done the whole TV thing, but he's like the mogul. Um, and yeah, they were just stood there and they said, she was like, hi guys, I've come to hear you sing. And they were like, okay, Joe, you're up first. Um, go out the room, come back in. And I, I remember just being stood there like literally less than two meters away from her and just thinking uh, th that that's one of them people where they almost feel like they're not real. They're that famous. Yeah. That they feel that there's not many people like that. There's not many people like that. And I would say she's probably the only person I've met that felt like that, where it is so iconic and so famous that you're looking at her and you're thinking that's, that cannot be her. It could, yeah. like, you can't, your, your mind, it's just a weird feeling. Um, and I, it, I think it just shows you yeah, a star power that she had. But um, she was lovely. She sang along with us. She was like, you sound beautiful. You're lovely. And like, good luck. And just so amazing. Incredible moment. I would, uh, that would, that would literally be the day of my death. I think if, if that happened, I mean, even hearing you recite that story and, and I, I remember watching the footage, um, it's, 
it's amazing that she was so hands-on and so involved and that, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that you had that moment that, that you sort of got to share a moment with, I think, probably the, the greatest singer this world has ever been. Yeah, and, and technically as well. Technically and technically the greatest singer, but also naturally the best singer. Yeah. So there's something about Whitney where I think there's a lot of amazingly technical singers that technically sound brilliant, but don't necessarily, it's not a nice sound to hear all the time. Whereas Whitney was technically incredible, but also had that natural gift of making everything sound beautiful. Like, uh, like honestly. And what my favorite moment in it was I sang Way to Broken Heart School. And um, I mean, I've still got a heavy vibrato now, but I had a very, very heavy vibrato on X Factor. <laughs> and, um, and she just did this. She's like, when you sing this note, and she's like, just straighten out the note. Um, and she sang it to us, like how she wanted it. And I was just like, that's it. I'm finished. I could go home now and that will be enough. <laughs> I remember when I'm, I was in the same room as Tina Turner, who anyone that knows the first thing about me knows that I'm obsessed. And I just, do you know what? I, I completely get what you mean about sometimes when it's almost like they're not there. Because it's like, there's no way that your brain can comprehend that that person stood in front of you. And I sort of very much, I think that's the closest that I can sort of understand what that moment must have felt like for you because legends are legends for a reason aren't they they are just they're just extraordinary um one of the sorry go on. it's like an untouchable feeling yeah definitely definitely you have that air of like the talent is just you admire the talent so much that they almost feel untouchable yeah that's how i feel when i watch you live you see so i feel like untouchable oh no that's normally i paid him to say that guys <laughs> i did and i'm gonna live on this money for the next week um okay very finally i just want to talk about your working with dion warwick and your creation with her because like this this really is almost like you're showing off now because this is just like you're working with the best of the best again i mean getting to record with her and getting to create with her more than anything i mean how does that opportunity come along how do you actually become you know involved with somebody that's got you know such an amazing career so Dionne Warwick was a patron of the World Hunger Project. Um, I, I'm not sure if she still is now, but she was at the time. Um, and, and they'd had this idea to do this big charity concert at the Royal Abbot Hall called um, Dionne Warwick and Friends um, for the World Hunger Project. Yep. And so they, the lineup was incredible lineup. Um, Cliff Richard, Boy George, Dionne Warwick. Um, who else? Alexandra Burke was there. Um, there was loads of incredible people. It was about seven people. And the idea was that um, we'd all come on and do like a solo, two or three solo numbers each. And then everybody would do a duet with Dion Warwick. It was a brilliant show. So we spend about four days together um, rehearsing in London with, the, with a huge orchestra. Um, and Dion was there, obviously. And again, you know, she's another one of those people where you've kind of just, our music's always been around you without realizing like she's got such a like huge back catalogue of songs and so many people have then like she's had hits with them then somebody else has recorded them and had another like another generation of hits with the songs you know so um again you just walk into the rehearsal room and there she is with a little cap on sunglasses chewing chewing gum and, like you know in jeans and a little hoodie and you're just like Dion Warwick is sat in front of us like what is my life um so yeah so we did the gig and me and her sang the song um which was written for the for the concert and then about a year later they said um Dion's asked if you would like to record the song as a charity single um and I was just like who, who me <laughs> like I mean does she not want to ask anybody else on the lineup you know um so we did so she was doing Cheltenham Jazz Festival um and that was the only day she was in the UK I think she was flying in on a tour so we went down to Cheltenham and we recorded it in about three hours in the room together, made a little music video while we recorded it. And just like, again, to be in a recording studio with somebody like her and watching how she works and just knows exactly what she wants, does not take any prisoners, but it's also quite like, quite stern with it, but not rude. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Totally. Um, like very respectful of people, but also is not going to be pushed around by anybody. And I remember just watching that and being like, that's, you know, that like, like she's there to do the job. She's going to do the job in an amazing way, but you're not going to take the mick out of her, you know? Um, and I suppose, you know, surviving the industry that she's been in for this long is probably why she's like that, but just incredible. And so, again, so lovely, so kind to me and just really, really lovely and respectful. It was incredible. Who else is on the wish list? 
I mean, I would the one person I've really had not next. I mean, I'd, listen, me. if she'd sing, she sing with this, I'd take it. Um, but I just would love to meet Celine. I'd just love to meet Celine. She's the one for me. I've kind of met Beyonce. I had my little singing moment with Beyonce by an accident when I went to see her and became a little bit of a, a funny little moment. Um, but Celine, I would just love to, I, I don't know, there's just something about her. She just seems really fun and I really admire her. I think, again, one of one of the like the best voices. Um, I just love her. So I'd love to meet her. Have you seen her live before? I've seen Celine three times or twice, twice, twice I've seen her live. Don't you think it sounds like it's not her singing? Don't you think it's it's too perfect for her to be live? And you're like, how is she this good? Like, it's one of those, again, one of those performances where you think, gosh, you are as wonderful as, as I always hoped. Like, she's sort of, again, legend status. Uh, yeah, and, and also just natural on stage, like really, you know, goes off, goes off on a tangent for like 15 minutes talking to the audience and like gives the audience gives the audience the feeling that they're seeing something that nobody else saw the night before, which I think is really important. Yeah. Um, when I go and see something, if I think I'm getting the same thing as what Manchester did last night, I'm like, I'd rather you just sang the songs, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas if you're going to, you know, and, and you know, like just something as simple as, oh, you know, stopped on the way in today and I had fish and chips, as random as that sounds, as an audience member, that makes you, you're like, oh, like I wasn't expecting to get that information, you know, or like it's just something different. I mean, maybe the fish and chip thing wasn't a great example, but you know, I'm just going off the top of my head. <laughs> when they're like, hello, bruh, but, but Birmingham. And you're like, yeah, yeah you, you, we, we are in Birmingham, but yeah, you're like, okay, I know what you mean. It's, she's amazing. And I've been so lucky to see Celine. I think I've seen, I think I've only seen her once. So I feel very jealous that you've seen her on multiple occasions, but yeah, definitely amazing. <laughs> I really would have loved to have seen her in Vegas, but she's not doing that now. So I'm sure she will again. She's the queen of Vegas. I mean, I, I, who is it that I read the other day that they thought was was going to do? It? I know, obviously, you know, Britney did it as well. I feel like, I feel like I read someone amazing was going to be going there, and I feel like because Gaga did her residency right there, and I hope that continues. Gaga, um, I saw, I've seen Shania in Vegas. Maybe, amazing. yeah. I imagine that's because her was it her MTV Music Awards performance, the one where she did a medley, which. Every corner of the music industry, doesn't matter what genre you sit in or how cool you think you are, we're singing along to Man, I Feel Like a Woman. They were like, Shania has got, I watched her concert actually on the telly the other night and Shania has got, a, again, a back catalogue of incredible songs. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I want to talk about the reality of being in this industry for you and I guess perhaps just just the the sort of the standard day-to-day -day workings of being successful and obviously releasing new music and writing I guess what are what are perhaps some of the hurdles or challenges that that maybe us as an audience wouldn't think of what, what are sort of I guess the the ways that you get challenged on a day-to-day -day basis perhaps even when it comes to deciding what type of album you want to release or you know do you second guess things because you want to make sure it's as good as the last I guess what sort of the hurdles behind the scenes that, that we might not think of? I think one of the major hurdles is just kind of, uh, which I've, I've, be, I've become a lot better at, um, but it definitely has been a massive learning curve over the last 11 years of being in the industry. Is just like working out how the whole business side of it works and how ruthless it can be and how um, fast changing and, you know, how, how, how it's sometimes not always fair, um, which, you know, I suppose life's not fair. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to sound like, woe is me, because I love what I do, and I, and I, I am in a very fortunate position. But, um, yeah, learning how all of that works, I would say, has been a hurdle and continues to be a hurdle, because you just, for me, I just want to sing and have a connection with an audience. So I try, I, you know, I have to be a part of it, because to make sure everything's ticking over and making sure everything's doing what it needs to be doing. But I try and steer out of it as much as I can, because it turns... It's such a turn off for me in the sense of that when it starts filtering in too much, it makes us not want to do it. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, like you're spoiling it now. Do you know what I mean? You're taking away the, you're taking away all of the niceness of it. So I try and balance on that level of kind of running your business and also being the performer and being the product essentially yeah. is, 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 a, is always a hurdle for me. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, in terms of like albums and writing and stuff, I used to kind of think like that, but I think as I've gotten older, I think as long as it's good quality and it's what 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 you're passionate about and what you 
want to put out there, then I don't think you can kind of go too wrong with it. I think if you go in a studio, all the, I think I think you want to do everything better, like the next time you do something. So that's a natural thought. But um, I don't kind of go and sit in a studio and go, this song has to be better than that certain song. I just kind of write and record on on a gut feeling of, of what I think sounds good. I might be wrong. <laughs> Do you think having that hands-on approach and being connected to reality, you know, and observing other people and, and being very self-critical as well allows you to remain quite humble? Because the Joe that I talk to on a daily basis or that, you know, when we go out or whatever we do is still the same Joe that I see in the industry. You know, you are very, you are a very real person. I don't feel like there's necessarily two different sides to you like sort of like the the fake side and the real side as you so often get with performers you're very grounded and very truthful in what you do and and you know from the outside that to me seems like a real recipe for success it feels like it will lead you towards good things um i mean i i, I don't really know how to answer that but i mean that's very kind first of all thank you 20 pounds please <laughs> yeah you'll get the next 20 pound installment <laughs> um but um i don't know i think I don't take myself too seriously. I think that's I think that's the kind of main thing. I think a lot of people in our industry take themselves far too seriously, and just and sometimes you have to go. We're just singing and dancing, and we're supposed to be having fun. You know, that's what we're supposed to be doing, and we're supposed to be giving people release and fun. Um, and so I try and just check myself all the time when we're doing that. You know, um, it's hard sometimes. You get a little bit washed up in it all, and you know, sometimes you have to be like, right, stop it now. You're being in, you know, I won't say the swear word. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's not a conscious thing, but I think it's just important to, like, remember to just be nice and be kind and also have fun. Like, have, f what is the point if you're not having fun? Yeah, you know definitely. I, mean? I try and, like, every job that I do, every everything that I do and every person that I work with, I try and have as much fun as possible with them because, you know, I, I, I want people like if, if, for example, if I'm employing somebody and they come in to work with me on my two as a band member or crew or whatever, um, I want them to go away and say, oh, I had a really nice time. I don't want them to go away and be like, oh, God, he was awful to work with. Like it was a horrible atmosphere because that's just not how I want people to view it. You know, obviously you can't control everybody's opinion, <laughs> but I just try and be nice. That, that's that's kind of it, really. Yeah, definitely. Sort of the reality is you're just a nice person. You know, it's tough, but being nice is being nice is just me. You know, I'm a humanitarian now, as you know, because I plant trees and Joe is a nice person. So that should just be the name of the next album. Just nice. Just nice. <laughs> Although isn't that saying if you're nice, that's boring or something. I don't know. Anyway, that's a whole different that's a whole Not different conversation. Nice. Yeah. yeah. No, he's a dick, nice. really. Don't don't get it twisted. No, no, I'm joking. Um <laughs> Nice, but not too nice. <laughs> <laughs> Was it like naughty, but nice? I feel like we've taken the whole Christmas theme too far. Um, okay, I, I'm very conscious of time, so I have a couple more questions for you. Um, looking to 2021, um, we are so nearly there, as we said at the, the start of the podcast. What's next for you? Are we going to get the next installment of your music? Is there a possible album coming? I mean, have you thought about it? I guess what's happening with that? Well, all I will say is I've been working on some very exciting things behind the scenes. And um, it, all will be revealed. Um, oh, how aloof. I've been writing and recording um, all through the first lockdown. I haven't actually done as much in the second half of the year because I've been quite, weirdly, I've, I have not left my house, but I've actually been quite busy. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing a lot of like online shows and kind of just, you know, behind the scenes things. But I've actually been really busy the second one. But the first one... I think I must have, we must, I uh, spent a lot of time on Zoom writing and recording. I wrote, probably wrote about 15 to 20 songs. Um, okay. So, and I already had a load of material before lockdown started as well. So we've been working on bits and pieces like that. I have been in the studio and the, there are things coming is all I shall say. Oh, that's so like a dot, dot, dot moment. It's like, damn. May start with a bang. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's your business. Anyway, um, oh. <laughs> That that's exciting. That's really exciting, and and the fact that we will get a new another instalment from you is, is very very promising. So I'm going to keep fingers crossed that it's sooner rather than later. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I mean, I've been working on an on, a, on another album, a, an original album for the past four years. But then, whenever a project kind of comes in, 
and it's like, oh yeah, we'll do that. Then you kind of have to shelf it a little bit because certainly with musicals um, and solo touring, um, it's so hard to kind of do anything else because you're just spending the whole time, you know, preserving your body and, and energy and voice for, for that touring schedule. So yeah, I'd, I'd, the material is there. It's just about compiling it all together. Totally. Well, Kylie obviously famously did disco. So maybe Joe could do like rock and roll or R&B. We could, we could sort of go off script. We could see something completely new from you. How about that? I really, really want to do a country album. I really, I really, really do. It's like, it's my dream to go to Nashville and record a country album. So I will do that at some point when we can actually travel properly. Yeah. I will, uh, I, I, it's just a, you know, doesn't have to be commercially successful. Does just for me as a bucket list thing. I'm such a huge fan of country music. So I'd love to go and kind of work with some people who I admire. And um, yeah, that's definitely something I'd like to do. And people that are desperate to see you live in the flesh, in a theatre, which just, again, seems like such an alien concept. But I imagine also a tour will hopefully follow with the album as well. People will get to see you alive again soon. Well, this year's tour that was supposed to be September, October, November is now next September, October. That's happening. Um, if we're allowed, I would imagine we will be by then. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of already in, booked in there. I mean, obviously the premise of the tour for this year was just going to kind of be going out on the, on the road and having some fun with the band. Um, now, who knows what the theme of it will be. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even think that far ahead yet, but it's it's booked, it's there and I'll be there. Do you know what I mean? Well, if, you, if you're there, that's that's quite a vital part of the tour identifying, but... Or they'll get they'll get Joe two point zero, which is me, which is a really bad thing. So please make sure you turn up. There's no show without punch. <laughs> um, Joe, it, to say this has been a pleasure is an understatement. Thank you so much for finding time to talk to me today and to talk about your very flashy and very impressive career. I will say that I'm even more obsessed with you now than I was before this sort of hour long conversation. So thank you so so much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So remember to treat us nicer when you see us next time. Give <laughs> you the respect I deserve. <laughs> I asked for your autograph. I don't know what more you want from me. And I bought all the merch, so don't even try that. But yeah, thank you so much. Good luck with the Christmas single, Oh Holy Night. It's out now, so people can get that. Get it back all the way up to the very top. Kick off whoever it was that you said at the top. Mariah. Mariah. Nobody knows. Nobody knows about her. Who even is she? She's had plenty number ones. Yeah, she's had enough. Give someone else a break. But yeah, um, most importantly, please stay safe. I look forward to seeing you in a pantomime in the Easter as well. But yeah, just thank you so much. And I'll talk to you very soon. Thank you. You've been listening to Eleven, the official theatre podcast. Find out more about Eleven at club11.london or via our official social channels. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theatre community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theatre professionals, search the RISE Theatre Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheatre.org. That's theatre with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.